In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros, and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris as the greats of the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Kevin Roman. Let me remind you a little bit about Kevin's background. He was a golf pro at Cherokee Town and Country Club here in Atlanta for several years, and Cherokee is one of the most prestigious pair of clubs here in the Atlanta area. Membership is by invitation only, folks, so great golf course here in the Atlanta area. Now he's the director of instruction at Monterey Peninsula Country Club, which includes two beautiful courses, the Dunes and the Shore course. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Besides being one of the top instructors in the country, Kevin's a great player. He's played in a couple of majors, including the 1993 U.S. Open at Baltus Roll and the 2009 PGA Championship up at Hazeltine. While he was here in Georgia, he was named the PGA Teacher of the Year back in 2014. And I'm honored he's back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Kevin, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you're the best in the business, and it's great to be with you. Ah, I appreciate you. So, Kevin, I, w- I want to start off. We're, we're nine days away from the U.S. Open being out there just down the street from where you're at at, at, at Pebble Beach. And uh, and I imagine things are starting to get stirred up out in that area. So talk about what it's like right now as uh, we sort of build up to the U.S. Open out there. Yeah, um, you can see, feel a lot more energy in the area right now of everybody getting ready. Um, for the influx of players starting probably on Sunday at the latest. Uh, I know Tiger was out last week playing a practice round, um, but you're going to see a lot more players coming in towards the weekend and, and getting going. Are the, are the locals excited about the event, or is this one of those where they're just waiting for all of us to get out of town so life can go back to normal? That's a good question. I mean, you get a little bit of each. I mean, some people, you know, don't like the crowd, so they leave. And But by far um, – everybody's really excited about it. I know from our club perspective, you know, our tea sheets are getting pretty full. Um, all the members are coming into town for this week. So to me, there's a lot of excitement at the club and, you know, we're doing a, I'm doing a kickoff uh, clinic for our members with Peter Jacobson, which will be a lot of fun on Wednesday evening. And every wow. night, the rest of the week, yeah, every night, uh, the rest of the week, they have something planned for the members, something special. So it's going to be a good week for everybody here. So, Kevin, give us a little insight based on, you know, the weather conditions that you've had out there recently. Give us a, a glimpse of what course conditions might be like out there. What should we expect to see at Pebble Beach and the condition of the golf course? Yeah, that's going to be interesting this year because it's really our record rains uh, this past winter and spring. Um, the reservoirs are full and they usually are down pretty low now. So the rough, uh, I, I happened to drive over and take a look the other day, the rough is extremely thick. I'm sure they're going to cut it down a little bit before the tournament, but they've got it where they want it. Uh, hardy, thick. Um, it's very juicy, so it's it's tough to get the club through it. And they narrowed the fairways uh, tremendously. So I think you're going to have to have a, a pretty straight driver win the game, uh, win the tournament. But 
the fairways are a little soft right now, so they may make it a little wider for some of the bombers to, to keep it in play. Yeah, that, that was sort of my next question. You know, what do you think? Is it is this going to be a bomber's paradise? Is, is someone like a Brooks and a DJ going to have uh, a lot of uh, advantage over the rest of the field? Or do you think driving accuracy and, and short game is going to rule the day? Yeah, I think they're trying to, to bring driving back into this one a little bit, which is nice to see with the width of the fairways. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of birdie holes at Pebble Beach, but there are some really you know, difficult long holes. They've added some new tees to some of the holes that make them. The par fours are actually longer than the par five uh, six hole. So accuracy off the tee is going to be good. If the fairways get firm, I think it'll really uh, make it interesting because people will be running into the rough more often. I really think an accurate player will have more advantage the firmer they get. And talk a little bit about the greens. How, what do you think about green condition? Is this is uh, Pebble Beach going to be a lightning fast, hard green? Or do you think you talked a little bit uh, about, uh, you know, the fairways being softer? Are we going to see some softer greens that are going to be a little more receptive to shots? Well, that's what it looked like. Um, the forecast for the next week, though, is starting to warm up pretty good for out here with a lot of sunshine. So they'll probably dry out a lot more. Um, they're very small. The people don't really have a, an understanding of how small they are. I think they average just over 3,000 square feet. And, you know, they're some of the smallest greens on tour. So if you can hit the greens, you can make a lot of birdies. However, if they do get them to dry out a little bit and play firm, a lot of balls will bound through the green, and, and really you've got to be a magician around the green with your wedges to, to save par. And, Kevin, we, we hear an awful lot, and I know I talk about this with respect to Augusta National, that TV doesn't do justice to what the course is actually like. At Augusta National, I talk about how the elevation change is something you just don't get a sense for when you're watching it on TV. Is there something about Pebble Beach and the golf course that we just can't get a really true sense for when we're watching it on TV? Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of elevation change at Pebble. A lot of people don't see. They'll see holes like, you know, number six with the big plateau uh, that they play up over with a blind shot. However, most of the holes out there, once you get off the first uh, three holes, you start playing up onto the hillside. So you're really playing off of a lot of side slopes the whole way, ball below your feet or ball above your feet and a change of elevation. So it is very much a, uh, a shot maker's course because you've got to control the ball off those different lines. Kevin, I want to switch gears a little bit. And I saw your tweet about golf course design and setup being something that you think is overthought, especially regarding drivable par fours. What do you think about what you're seeing in course design now that you think that they are overthinking? Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to turn par holes that were meant as par fours into a drivable par four, thinking it's going to add uh, excitement. However, a hole that's designed as a par four isn't really designed as a drivable par four, if that makes sense. Um, you see some of the courses like at the PPC, that 17th hole, which is drivable, with a hazard on the left. That hole is designed that way. Um, I know at Pebble, there's a possibility of playing a new tee on number 10 to the right of the ninth green. And you can really get close to the green, if not on it, some of the longer hitters uh, with the right conditions. But to me, the 10th hole, you know, is a great hole from back there, playing down the fairway with the hazard on the right. To me, there was no reason to try to make something like that a drivable hole. But that's just my kind of my take on it. If a hole is designed that way, that's fantastic. And, and I, I love drivable par fours. However, I don't think you take a regular par four and just move up a tee to try to 
entice people to hit driver at the green for excitement purposes. Kevin, from a teaching perspective, I know you're a proponent of plain truth golf. Tell our listeners that weren't around last time what plain truth golf is. Yeah, uh, it was founded by uh, Jim uh, Hardy and Chris O'Connell. And basically, they've been tremendous with a, a lot of instructors and you can get certified if, if people like. And their whole premise is to them is about ball play and impact. And many times today, uh, teaching has become very technical, very uh, position-oriented, whereas what they teach is ball flight and impact, and really you can get quick improvements with any student, because if a person, say, too shallow, sweepy, or hooky, you just need to find an angle that we call a steeper angle to neutralize that impact, or vice versa, if someone steep slices, you know, and then pulls the ball a lot to the left, you get some shallow angles. So, to me, it's very easy to get uh, instant improvement with most players. And I saw you recently spent some time with Jim Hardy, who is, you know, a world golf teaching Hall of Famer and a founder, uh, really, of, of playing truth golf. So talk about some of the new things that you learned when you saw him a, a week or so ago. Yeah, the, the good thing about Jim is his passion to help people is beyond off the charts. You know, we get done doing a golf school. I do two of them a year out here with the members. And literally from the moment we finish the first day, we do two half days. The minute we finish, he's talking about each student, what he might have been able to say differently to get them to do something, um, what we're going to do tomorrow to make them better. And then we're at the course at 7 a.m. the next morning getting ready. And he's already talking about all the students again, how we're going to approach them in this. So his passion to get people to play better immediately right away and to help people is is top-notch. And Kevin, I'm hearing more and more instructors being a proponent of sort of, you know, swing your swing, right? Not forcing students to have that sort of classic perfect swing that, you know, that uh, we may have in mind. And, and uh, I love the idea of that individuality, like we see with, you know, players like Jim Furyk or historically like Lee Trevino or Raymond Floyd. And you commented on it with Patrick Welch, who plays at the University of Oklahoma. But as an instructor, is that something that, you know, that you really think, you know, hey, look, I, I can work with you no matter what your swing is like, and we maybe we tweak a thing here or there. Is it is that something that you that you really think that we can do? Is not not to have the classic swing, but boy, I can work with whatever your swing is. Yeah, exactly. You know, most people's bodies uh, they work the way that their muscles are or any physical limitations they have. So if you try to pigeonhole people into a model or look for certain positions that everybody else has, you start, you kind of get stymied after a little bit of improvement. You'll help some people, most definitely, but you'll also hurt people or not help other people because you're trying to get them to do something they can't do or doesn't match up to their mistakes. As long as you're always correcting the player's mistake, um, it, which to me is what the golf club tells the golf ball, ball flight and impact, you can't help but see, like I said before, immediate improvement. You're going to see a, a young golfer now, Matthew Wolf, has gotten a lot of publicity lately with a very, what they would call an orthodox-looking backswing, you know, getting the arms really high, club across the line, looping it down. Um, but just like Jim Furyk, you know, just like Elite Trevino, they bring the club back right to the position the club was at address, which makes them extremely repetitive 
and uh, accurate. And if the average person just thought about golf as saying, here's my golf club at address, if I can bring it close to that at impact, I should be pretty good because that's how they built this golf club. So the, the rest of the other stuff is window dressing, impact and where the club is and the club face is, is, is the meat of the, the bone there. And Kevin, when, when you get a new student, how do you start out trying to figure out what they need and how to you know, properly instruct them on how to, as you, as you say, return the golf club and the face of the golf club back to square and hit the ball? What, what are some of the things that you are looking for in a new student to try to help them improve their golf game? <laughs> That's a good question. If I told the average person when I start a lesson with anybody, I've already interviewed them, so I kind of know what their good clubs in their bag and what their bad clubs are because certain clubs – um, are better to be, say, steeper versus shallower. So I'll find out which clubs are not their friends and work backwards from there. So I already have an idea what I'm looking for before they hit. However, the first few balls that they hit, I honestly am just looking at the club head um, and the growth ball impact, where it's hitting the club face. Was it the heel, the toe? Is the divot deep, shallow? You know, is the ball fading, hooking, slicing? What is it doing? And from there, I kind of personally, I look up and I'll look at the student, but I look through the student, uh, like the old 3D images. And what I'm looking for is just something that's going to jump off the page in my eyes that is the opposite of the impact. Where's the mistake? And I'm not looking for anything in particular, whereas if I looked at a person's hands, all I'm going to see is their hands. So I look through the person and everything kind of, lack of better words, gets blurry but you can see all the detail of what they're doing. So if you have a slicer and the club is coming down too steep, okay, which angle or what part of the body is causing that to happen? And then I just from there work the opposite way with whatever part it is, and you should see pretty much improvement right away. It doesn't mean every ball is perfect, but you should see a lot more solid hits or repetitive for a good player. Is there a is there a basic fundamental that you could share with our listeners that say, look, Let's build everything off of this. Is that the grip? Is that stance? Is that posture? Is that ball position? What, what is a basic fundamental that you see very frequently that we're doing wrong that is an easy fix? You know, I think the big one is, is going to be aim. Uh, I look at aims different. A lot of people think you should be parallel left um, with your shoulder to the target. We all hear that. However, if I said to you, put an alignment stick on the ground, aim it directly at your target. And then from there, when you get your setup, make sure your shoulders are right over the stick. Um, many, many people are aimed in a direction that, they, they, that is incorrect for where they think. And then they will make big compensations in their swing to try to get the golf ball to the target. So if they're aimed their shoulders directly at the target, I tell them, well, the club is about a foot and a half in front of you. In theory, if you hit every ball exactly where you're aimed but the ball's a foot away from you, you'd hit a one foot right of the flag every time if you're a right-handed player. So I think if you can get the shoulders online, I don't look at my feet, I look at shoulders. And you'll see that with guys like Matt Kuchar, everyone thinks he aims way to the right because his stance gets closed. Hogan's did the same thing. Uh, you see in the five fundamentals, he played out of a close stance with his driver. However, the hips and shoulders are always at the target with both of those players. So if you can get the upper body square to the target, probably won't have to do any manipulating and most people's swings will get a lot better 
Um, the grip, you see all kinds of grips. David Duvall's was strong when he was number one in the world. Jose Maria lots of balls was extremely weak. So those are preferences to the person to a degree. But aiming the shoulders uh, at the target will start to keep the golf swing more neutral. Kevin, just a couple of more before I let you go. And being out there on the Monterey Peninsula, I imagine you play and deal with a lot of windy conditions, probably more as the norm than anything else. But when the winds are blowing, you know, 20, 25, 30 miles an hour, how do you adjust in order to get a good ball flight to not have the ball balloon on you? What, what are some things that we would need to do if we're out on the golf course and we're facing very windy conditions in order to play a good round of golf? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question because most people, the wind is the hardest thing for them to play. And even the tour players, they don't mind rain and stuff like that, but the wind makes it harder to control the ball. Um, the number one reason a ball um, rises balloons in the wind is spin. And the biggest contributor to creating spin is speed. So to me, uh, I still make the same length swing but I try to feel like it's a, a little bit slower. That keeps the spin off the golf ball, which actually makes it fly a little bit lower, but yet it doesn't lose a ton of distance because you're not hitting, like you said, up shooting and ballooning. Um, I don't like to play the ball too far back. I may move it back in a tiny bit, maybe one ball or so, but I don't like to move it too far back because that will change our swing plane, and now the ball's going to curve more. So to me, just choke up on the club a little bit and – maybe feel like you're swinging at about a 75% tempo. For most people, it's going to be probably faster than their other swing. However, because it's smoother, the ball doesn't have a tendency to upshoot in the wind. And that's very important not to, uh, to try to hit it too hard. To take lots of club, and then you won't swing as hard, and all of a sudden you'll realize the ball doesn't curve as much in the wind as you think it does if you hit it solid. Has the same philosophy hold true from, let's say, 100 yards in? Should we be, you know, swinging softer with a, a lower lofted club to keep the ball lower? Or what's your approach when you're looking at when typically you'd have a, a sand wedge or a pitching wedge in your hand? No, most definitely. Uh, almost everybody swings wedges too hard. And anytime you swing a wedge hard, like you said, it, it kind of slides up the face most of the time. And you're going to get varying trajectories. As, as Ben Hogan used to say, trajectory is control. So if most people don't need a lob wedge or a 60-degree wedge, but they have them in the bag, those are good for certain occasions around the greens or, you know, very firm bunkers. You can help pop it up and get it up a little bit higher. But if most people took out the sand wedge or the gap wedge, pitching wedge, and hit a lot of pitches from 100 yards in, three-quarter them, the ball flight comes down, and your accuracy and distance control would be a lot higher than and trying to hit full wedges. That, that's a great point, Chris. I mean, that's the one thing you fight with everybody. Everybody wants to hit their wedges really far, and their control and scoring clubs, not distance clubs. Kevin, before we let you go, remind our listeners about your home course now. You've got Monterey Peninsula Country Club. You've got two beautiful courses out there on site. Let everyone know about them. Uh, I'm, I'm so blessed. Uh, we have two courses ranked in the top 100. Um, the only other two courses that have that is Baltus, Roll, and Wingfoot, so we're in a good company right there. Um, we've got two what I call different golf courses. We have the Dunes course, which is it's a little longer. Um, greens are very severe um, with a lot of undulation in them. 
Um, hitting to the right target or the right place on the green is of paramount. Um, the dunes, I mean, excuse me, the shore is a little bit more wide open. Um, you look, both of them play along the water, and the, they have holes right on the water playing over the, the ocean on 14 of the dunes. You're, you're playing up from a 170-yard shot over the ocean back to the green. It's pretty fun. Um, wow. But to have two courses in the top 100 in the country is very rare. Kevin, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. Yeah, uh, Kevin Roman Golf uh, on Twitter. And, you know, we're out here at Monterey Peninsula Country Club. If any viewers get out there, please give me a holler and uh, stop by. We can say hi or something. That'd be awesome. And, uh, you know, I always appreciate coming on to you. I'm still, to be honest with you, in awe of the question you asked last time. I'm going to recap on that one. Sure, a lot of people didn't know. You asked me about me getting a Bloody Mary spilled on my uh, clothes right before the PGA. <laughs> right. I had forgot about it till you mentioned it and brought it up. I'm like, holy cow. I don't even know how you figured that one out. That was incredible. <laughs> you you, you, you some magic to get questions. I appreciate it. Kevin, it's always a joy having you as part of the show, my friend. I, uh, I hope you'll come back and join me again soon because it's always fun having you as part of the segment. Thanks so much. I mean, like I said, and I don't say that lightly. You're the best in the business, and uh, it's awesome to be on your show. I appreciate you very much, Kevin. Thank you so much for that. I look forward to catching up with you soon, my friend. And between now and then, all the you best to it. you and your family. You See too, you, Kevin. Stay, stay cool in Atlanta. Goodbye. Thank you. See ya. That's Kevin Roman, R-O-M-A-N, at Kevin Roman Golf. You can follow him on social media. A lot of great tips, a lot of great videos out there for you to take a look at as well. Kevin's a lot of fun. He's a good man, and I, I really appreciate the fact that he took time out of his night to come back on the show. Looking forward to catching up with him again real soon. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.